Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim. We're going to start a series today, but it's not a sermon series. I don't want you to get the idea we're going to be in this for three or four weeks. A lot of times I'll do a sermon series. I'll, I'll be thinking or trying to build precept upon, upon precept from message to message. This message leads to this message. It leads to this message. We're going to start a series of teachings, not a sermon series, about the vintage church, which will be a series of standalone teachings to talk about and answer this question. Why was the early church so powerful? More specifically, why aren't we as powerful as the early church was? And so we're going to start in, like I said, normally I'll tell you how many weeks we're going to be in something, but I don't know. I have nine plotted right now. There's suspected probably somewhere between nine and 12 by the time we're done. But there's questions we have to ask because, let's face it, the modern church is lacking. I don't mean to say that because I don't, I don't want to just bum you out. I don't want to come leading in with that right hook, but the modern church is lacking. Over generations, the church has moved from has become complacent, non-convictional, and largely powerless. I think most people that attend church regularly will tell you that. That even though the Holy Spirit is more than capable of creating change in us, we don't allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and amongst us like we should. So we come to church, we do what we're what we've always done, we out of southern obligation or because my mama was a Christian or in my case because my wife told me she wouldn't date me if I didn't go to church. Whatever reason you're here, you come to church, you fulfill your obligation and then you go out into the world and you live like hell like you never showed up here in the first place. And that has eroded the foundation of who we are. More specifically, what Christ Jesus died to give us. And so we've become largely powerless. I want to get that back. I believe through a proper declaration of the Word of God and compliant transparency and pliability to the Holy Spirit, we can get that back. If 12 people can turn the world upside down, there's no reason why Launch Point Church can't turn the world upside down. Why billions of Christians around the world can't turn the world upside down. It's time for the church to take back its prominent place in society. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so, but, but I don't want to talk at you over the next 12 weeks or however. I want to talk to you. I want us to, to, to know that we know that there is power in the Word of God. That there is power by the Spirit of God. That there is power in the name of Jesus Christ. We achieve these things as we recognize who we are and what God's called us to. And that He has given us the Holy Spirit to do the work that He's called us to do. A.W. Tozer famously quoted, he said, The early church, if the Holy Spirit was removed from the, whole, from the early church, 95% of what the church was doing would stop and the church wouldn't exist. But if you remove the Holy Spirit from the modern church, 95% of what it is doing would continue to be done and most people wouldn't even notice. Amen. 
I only bring that up because I think it's true. We have become so competent and reliant on our systems and our programs when we need to get back to a place where, where we are reliant on the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit and prayer and all the things that we're going to talk about. This church has to be a model of the early church. Jesus never told us how to do church, but he told us what church should look like. And this church needs to be that church. I'm not here to be your motivational speaker. I'm not going to ever, ever give you seven ways to a better you. But I will give you seven ways to be a holier you. Because I'm not called to be a motivational speaker. I'm called to be your pastor. If in fact I'm your pastor. The problem is we've allowed popular preachers to entertain us. Popular and preacher never should exist in the same sentence. We've allowed people that call themselves pastors or that have been placed as pastors to entertain us. To tell us what we want to hear. It's time that we stop hearing what we want to hear and start hearing what God has called us to hear. To move out of our intellect and into the Word of God. To make the message simple. To make the message clear so we can carry it. I'm also convinced that it's not just the congregation, the church's problem. It's the pastor's fault because we've tried to over produce it. We've tried to make it something it isn't. We've tried to give a new, fresh, declarative word at the expense of the people. It shouldn't be that. It's a simple message. It should be declared as a simple message. When we get caught up in our intellect, we don't do anything but mess it up. There's a, there's a guy, his name was, and I only call him out on purpose because it needs to be done. His name was Ravi, Ravi Zacharias. If you're familiar with Ravi Zacharias, I loved to listen to Ravi Zacharias, his teachings. He was one of the most intellectual people I'd ever listened to. So intellectual in things pertaining to Christian religion that he would be asked to travel all over the world to debate atheists as to why the gospel was true. And to listen to him, you would swear that he was saved. Now whether he was or not, I can't particularly say, but I will tell you after his death, it was found out that he was a career adulteress habitual not adulteress adulterer this is a man who declared Christ it does damage to the church first and foremost but you know why he had platform because we cared more about his intellect than we did his character there's another guy named Ted Haggard some of you are familiar with him from Colorado Famous pastor had a mega campus. It was mega campus before mega campuses were a mega campus thing. And he was the president of whatever organization it was, but the, I can't remember the name of the organization, but the organization existed to push forward the idea of biblical marriage, that biblical marriage is between a man and a woman, period. And I believe that that's true. I don't believe that's true. I know that's true. But he was removed from his pulpit because even though he was in charge of this organization that declared such a thing, 
it was found out that he was a habitual purveyor, hirer of homosexual prostitutes. That he, as a matter of habit, would solicit homosexual prostitutes. How do we get to such a place that we give those kind of people, these kind of people, audience? Because we think that our pastor has to entertain us. Because we think that the church is here to make us feel good about us. And that is not why the church exists. The church exists to glorify Christ. Now, there are a bunch of stuff that falls under the umbrella of that larger umbrella, absolutely. But if those smaller umbrellas don't glorify Christ, we don't do that. We shouldn't do that. And so I want to talk to you today, starting this Vintage Church series, where it should start. And that is that the early church, the Vintage Church, was powerful. It was effective because it was focused and communicated the message in a simple way. And that's how we'll win them too. That's how we'll win the world too. We will turn the world upside down when we stop thinking we're better and start talking to them like we'd prefer to be talked to. There's a novel idea. But there's some things. So I'm going to teach today out of 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. But there's some things, and the title of the sermon is Christ and Him Crucified. Because that's where we should start. If we don't start with Jesus, we start in the wrong place. Because it doesn't matter what I teach about. Without Jesus, i got no prayer. Because I have no intercessor on my behalf. Without Jesus, I have no Holy Spirit. Because without Jesus is dying and praying to God to send the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit never would have come. And even if He had come, He wouldn't have been able to indwell that which was unholy. Everything that we have hinges on the very simplistic idea that Christ in Him crucified saved us. That's it. I can't color it. In fact, I've, I have often said to my wife, I don't know how you guys put up with me the first year. My leadership and my teaching was horrible the first year because I went to college and I went and got a seminary degree and I wanted everybody in the world to know I knew big words. And so I'd sit up here and I'd preach big words and big ideas and big theories and theology and at the end of the day, people would walk out of here just as confused, if not more confused than they were when they walked in here. And so I repent of that, but I will tell you that that is no longer the case. The message is simple, and the message starts with Christ and Him crucified. So there's three things that I want to make a point out of chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 through 5. There's three points I want to make out of this text. Let me read the text to you first. Verse 1, When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Amen. So there's three things that I want you to know out of this text. Number one, the vintage church knew the message was simple. 
They didn't try to convolute it. They didn't try to mess it up. They understood that God's righteousness, sanctification, and redemption do not come from man's wisdom. I can't explain to you enough the things that are spiritual to make you get saved. The Spirit has to provoke you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, at the end of that chapter, it says this in verse 30, By His doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom of God. Jesus Christ became the wisdom of God to us, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. The message is simple. Righteousness, sanctification, and redemption come to us one way. And that is through Christ Jesus. That's it. The foolishness of men and our willingness or desire to over-explain it can't save you. The Spirit of God only can save you. Matter of fact, that same text in 1 Corinthians starts with, None of us are mighty. We are all foolish. We are all weak. We are all shameful. We are all base. But that's okay because we're supposed to be. Because when we're all of those things, we prove one thing, that God is sufficient. That we don't have the right to boast according to this passage. That if we're going to boast, we boast in God alone because we don't have the ability to proclaim Him of our own. Hmm. And so we know that we're not smart enough to explain spiritual truths intellectually. Hey, I wish I'd have known that before now. I wish I'd have known that when we first opened Launch Point Church. It's Jesus Christ, the message of His testimony that saves us. He said, I came bearing the testimony of God. What is a testimony? It's the giving of evidence. When, I ask, when I'm asked to testify to something, I'm asking to give evidence of what I've seen, what I've heard, what I've touched. And this is what Paul did. He said, I, don't, I ain't trying to come at you all crazy. I came at you simple. Based on the testimony that I have of God. I know that there's people in this room, because I've talked to some of you, that say, man, I would, I would tell more people about Jesus, but I'm afraid I'm going to mess it up. I'm afraid I'm not going to have the right words to say. Can you just tell them what you know, what you saw, who you were and who you are? Because that's the testimony that you have. It's not, it's not complicated. It shouldn't be complicated. If you're in relationship. Angela and I have been married, I can, I can happily say, for almost 15 years. I'd have never thought she'd stay with me this long. But I'm glad she did. Honestly, I'm not sure she thought she would either. But when people ask me, why do you love Angela? You know what I don't have to do? I don't have to break off in big words. I don't have to use deep theology. I explain it simply. I love Angela because her heart is both a flashlight and a compass to me. I love Angela because her eyes reflect the love of God for me. I love Angela because she does everything she can 
to prove her love to me. I love Angela because she pours herself out for the church God has called us to. God didn't call me to pastor this church. He called us to this church. I just happen to be the pastor of it. But let me tell you, without her, none of this would happen. Somebody's got to wake this knucklehead up in the morning and say, man, you've got to go. you got an appointment. Or text me in the middle of the afternoon and say, don't forget your 3.30 while I'm hung up in my office doing something, not paying attention, about to miss my 3.30. Why do I tell you all that? I tell you all that because that didn't sound complicated, did it? No. You know why? Because we're intimately familiar with one another. Because I know her. Because she knows me. And that's why it's easy for me to explain God to you. Christ to you. Because we're intimately familiar. I would just challenge you. When declaring Christ, speak the who I was. What he did and who I am because of what he did. I was, but God, I am. It's not hard if you're in relationship. Can I tell you, though, it becomes difficult, dangerous even, to declare Jesus if you're not in relationship with him. It's a warning to you. There's a story in Acts chapter 19 of seven young men that decided to do the same thing. They decided that they were going to cast a demon out of a guy because they had seen Paul do it. They were the seven sons of Sceva. Sceva was the high priest, Jewish high priest. And they decided that they had seen this cool thing, so they were going to try to imitate it. And so they go to this guy that has a demon in him, apparently, and they, they call this demon out. Not in relationship with Jesus, but based on formula, based on what they'd heard, not of their own testimony, and they try to call him out. You know what happened to them? The Bible says that that demon looked at them and said this, Paul, I know. I'm in relationship with Paul. I know Paul. Jesus, I know. But I don't know you. And that one guy stripped down, beat bloody, and chased down the street, those seven guys. The Word of God, the name of Jesus Christ, is not to be used flippantly by those outside of relationship with Him. And certainly would never be used flippantly for those in relationship with Him. Why do I tell you all of this? Because it doesn't have to be fancy. It just has to be according to your testimony. Like Paul said. And what is the testimony we've been given? The testimony of God that Jesus Christ and Him crucified saved us. Again, in 30, it says that He gave us righteousness, that He sanctified us, that He redeemed us. You say, wait a minute, you said you were going to keep this simple, and then you throw three big fancy words out there. So let me explain them to you simply, not because I think you need it explained simply, but because I'm going to assume there's somebody that may not know exactly what they mean. And that's not a dig on you. Can I tell you the first time somebody asked me what grace was? I was trying to convert them. I was trying to, I was trying to convince them to give their life to the Lord. And I said, grace, 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 during this, during this time we had dinner together, probably 50 times. And the guy finally stopped and looked at me. He goes, what's grace? I was all, it's the stuff, man. <laughs> you know, it's the, 
It's, 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 what, it's, it's how we're saved, man. You know, I had no idea. So let's get the simple, the big words, make them simple. Redemption or righteousness. He made us righteous. That is, He gave us right standing before God. You didn't deserve to be in the presence of a holy God. But the Bible says this, 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. What does that mean? That means He took our filthy, sin-riddled nature and removed it from us. Put it on Himself and gave us His perfect nature. So that when God sees us, He doesn't see us. He sees the blood of His Son, Jesus. I praise God that the simple message of the Gospel is first that I carry the nature of Christ because Christ took my sin. He said too that we have been sanctified. There's a good old fashioned Southern Baptist word, right? I tried to do this, the old Southern Baptist preacher voice in the last service and I jacked it all up with the hums and all that, but I can't do it. But that's a good old fashioned word. But let me tell you what it means simply means you've been made holy, perfect, and set aside for His use. You are holy, perfect, and set aside for His use. Hebrews 10.10 By this, Jesus' sacrifice, will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once and for all. We've been made holy. And as holy... We should walk as holy, which means we should walk according to the Spirit. Guys, this isn't just information. I'm not trying to give you a history lesson of the church. I'm trying to tell you that God calls us to holiness. God calls us to righteousness. That that message, we're responsible to it and for it. But we can't be responsible to declare it if we don't understand that it's our responsibility to walk in it. Romans 8, 3 through 4 says, He, it's Jesus, condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. What's the requirement of the law? Holiness. The law existed for one reason. To show us how holy God is and how inept we were at maintaining that holiness. But Jesus fulfilled it perfectly holy which is why he was able to be a perfect sacrifice for us so we have to walk in that who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit does anybody make am I making sense to anybody this is what it say it says listen you've been made righteous and you've been made holy you've got a decision to make you're going to walk in that holiness and have life which is what chapter 8 continues to talk about or are you going to walk in the flesh which is death and let me tell you that death at some point in your future will be literal and eternal 
That's so heavy. I get questions all the time, Pastor Jim, how, how can I know I'm saved? This is a question I used to ask myself. How can I even know I'm saved? Am I even saved? Can I tell you how? I have found the best way to answer this question. Time. Time will prove to me whether or not you're saved. Not that you need to prove it to me. But sometimes you might need to prove to yourself. Time will prove it. Everybody, no matter who you are, can fake who you are for six months. This has been my experience as a law enforcement officer over 20 years. Anybody can fake who they are for a short amount of time. But at some point, a piece of who they really are will fall out of their mouth and expose them. It's true. So the, the idea is time. In that time, what am I observing? I'm observing the fruit of your spirit. What fruit are you bearing according to the spirit that you carry? Do you have a spirit of life or do you have the spirit of death? If you have the spirit of life, if you are saved, then the Bible tells us that you should be a person of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's Galatians chapter 5, if any of you are curious. And that you should grow in each of those things. It is contrary to human nature to love, to be joyful, to be peaceful, patient, faithful, gentle, to have self-control. It's contrary to your nature to do that. But praise God, Jesus Christ died to give us a new nature. And because I was saved, where I still, this is going to shock y'all, I got saved and the next day I was, I was still not as joyful as I should be. I was still not as self-controlled as I should be. But now, I got saved 2006, however many years ago that was, now I can tell you, I'm still not as self-controlled as I should be, but I am much more self-controlled than I used to be. And that's how I know I'm saved. Because my nature would contradict that. I would get less self-control. I would become more bitter. I would become less peaceful. So he gave us his spirit to do that, to, 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 to redeem us and to sanctify us. I'm sorry, to make us righteous and to sanctify us. But also, according to the same text, to redeem us. To buy us back from sin. Why did we need to be bought back? Because without blood, which is what you're bought back with, the Bible says there can be no remission of sin. You know, I'm not that bad a person. Yes, you are. I'm not into bashing folks, but at the end of the day, the Bible says in chapter 3, none are righteous. Semicolon. No, not one. I like that he said it a second time in the same sentence for people like me who are Polish and thick-skulled to get it. None are righteous. Nope, knucklehead, not even you. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is why we need to be bought back because we belonged to, the, to our sin nature both by birth and by action, but Jesus Christ in the shedding of his blood paid the due penalty for our sin, which is death, and bought us back from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. 
People say, God, God's the father of everybody. You need to read your Bible because that's not true. God's the creator of everybody. He's the father of those that belong to him. That's what the church knew about Jesus. That he was magnificent, that he was beautiful, that he is magnificent, that he is beautiful. I've read this quote, poem, as it were, one other time since we've been here. I think it's very appropriate now. But it's a hymn or a poem that was written, scratched on the cell of in a, found in an insane asylum for a guy that had been carried away and put to death for some crime that he had committed. When they went back to clean his cell, they found this engraved in the wall, according to tradition. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. What's he saying? Very simply, he's saying there's not enough pens in the world. There's not enough paper or ink in the world to explain the love that God has for you, that He would do what He has done for you. Christ and Him crucified. For, according to this text, for your righteousness, for your sanctification, and for your redemption. But in order to declare the gospel or receive it, there's a prerequisite, as it were. This is the second thing the vintage church knew according to the text we're in today. And that is this. The vintage church knew the vessel. Both the receiving vessel and the proclaiming vessel must be humble. Paul says this in verse 4, or 3 and 4. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Paul. <laughs> Paul. Y'all, y'all read, anybody here ever read any of Paul's writings? If I was ever going to read Paul's writings and then reflect on the kind of guy Paul would be, weakness, fear, and trembling would not be the words I'd use. I'd use bold, declarative, convictional, unmoving willing to die, in fact died for the gospel. Shipwrecked, snake bitten, beaten, left twice, I think left twice for dead. This is how I would declare Paul. But that's not how Paul declared Paul. He said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in trembling. You know why? Because he understood the message. It wasn't just simple. It was bigger than him. Many of you, I don't know if you pay attention to me. I hope you don't, honestly, during worship. But I I always spend the first two songs over here worshiping with my wife. And then during the third song, I walk over here. And you'll see me. I'll be pacing back and forth. I'm not singing. I'm praying. I'm trembling. I'm fearful. 
Because I'm about to present the Holy Word of God. The Holy Christ to God's people from His holy desk. I better be fearful and trembling and weak. No matter what you see out here on the inside, I'll tell you I am terrified every time I come up here. Paul, I'm certain, every time he opened his mouth, didn't come with big words. He came with the message, Christ and Him crucified, from a position of humility. And the receiver must be humble too. You have to be humble. Did you know you can't receive anything if you think you know everything already? I know, right? That's, I just blow your mind with the simple stuff. But it's so true. We serve the same God that was alive in the Old Testament today. If nothing else, that ought to cause you to fear and tremble. You're all, well, he doesn't, he doesn't deal with us the same way. He doesn't deal with you the same way yet. But you're going to see a perfect judgment. He was immediate with his judgment then. He's patient, loving, and kind, and desiring for you to repent. So he's giving you time. But at some point, you will, we all will, answer at the judgment seat. We will all face the great white throne of judgment. God will get his. And that ought to freak us out. That ought to cause us to stay awake at night, stare at the ceiling, and ask God to forgive us where we've messed up today. Somebody put on Facebook the other day, how, how often, ask the question, how often do you meditate and actually ask yourself, where are you with God? If your answer is anything other than every night, multiple times a day, you got the wrong relationship with God. Because you're not promised. I, I'm not promised ever leaving this platform. Fear and trembling and weakness, both from this side of the podium and from that side, if we're going to receive. Ultimately, they knew one other thing. The vintage church knew the result was his. Verse 5, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. We're saved by faith. But our faith can't rest on my ability to convince you to get saved. Your faith has to rest in the gospel, the power of God unto salvation, to those who believe, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. That's what the Bible says. I had a young man ask me, we'd been here, I don't know, a year, maybe a little, maybe two. And he'd come up after service because I had stopped service right in the middle. And I did an altar call, which I don't do very regular. If you've attended here very often, you know it's not, it's not something I do all the time. I do it when I feel good. God's telling me to do it. And so I stopped. And it just so happened that a bunch of people responded during that service. And this young man came up to me after service, and he said, he said, man, where do you get the unction to do that? He goes, what would you have done if you'd have stopped service, stopped preaching, done that, and nobody, nobody moved? 
I'm going, oh, that's their problem. That's not my problem. My job is the messenger. Your job is to respond. The result is his. The result is God's. The result belongs to God. That's the reason why I pray before we start services most Sundays. God, provoke them by the power of your Holy Spirit. If there's anybody in this room that doesn't know who you are, reveal yourself to them as I declare the truth over them. And what is that truth? According to the Word of God, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That we all have a problem that we can't solve on our own. So God sent a solution to that problem according to John 3.16. That He sent His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the promise that solves our problem. But can I tell you, it's what good's a promise if I don't know how to grab a hold of it? People leave me money in their will, but if they never tell me about it, I'm out. But God's so gracious, He told us how to grab a hold of it. He didn't just tell us you got a problem. Because people want to do us like that, don't they? You got a, you, this is a problem. Well, give me a solution. Well, I don't have a solution. Then keep your mouth shut. But He gave us the problem, and then He gave us Jesus to solve that problem. And then He told us how to acquire the solution to that problem. In Romans 10, 9, He says this, If you'll declare with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, which is to say, to believe that you have a hope, that you have a future, that God is capable of the supernatural in your life, then you will be saved. That's the simple gospel message. That's the message the vintage church knew. It wasn't convoluted. It wasn't fancy. It was Christ and Him crucified to solve a sin problem for you. So I'm going to ask you a question. What do you do with Christ and Him crucified? I'm not going to have you bow your head and close your eyes because this is a church family. We want to celebrate with you. We want to hold you accountable. We want to help you grow. It wouldn't be right for us to birth a child on the sidewalk and then just leave it on the sidewalk. We have to walk with you. You have to allow us to walk with you. We want to be your family, your support. We, it's called discipleship. So if you believe that God, that what I've told you is true, that you have a sin problem, that Jesus is the solution to that sin problem, and all you have to do is declare Him Lord, believing in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and you shall be saved. If you believe that and want that for yourself, or as the writer of Hebrews says, you've allowed yourself to drift away and you just need to get back to center, there's some repentance for you to do there too. If that's you, would you raise your hand so I know who to pray for, who I'm praying for? Is there anybody in this place? Thank you so much. There's no shame in it. There's glory in it. The angels are celebrating right now. People get so ashamed. They're, I don't want to raise my hand. What are people going to think of me? Why do you care what people think about you? There's an almighty God that loves you so much. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for you so that you might be righteous, so you might be sanctified, so that you might live with Him for all of eternity. What do we care what people think of us? The vintage church didn't to the point that they were strapped to a post and set on fire. And all we ask is that you raise your hand. Ain't nobody trying to set you on fire. 
So I saw the people that raised their hand. If there's anybody else, 